Hey, you're listening to season two of Katie's Journey. I'm your host, Kaylee Dwyer. And in this podcast, I interview professionals across a variety of industries to learn about their journey to success and how we can learn from them. Tune in if you're interested in gaining these insights and learning something new. Welcome to episode 26 of Katie's Journey. Today, we'll be learning more about my dear friend, Jack Wilson. Jack is the Senior Director of Enterprise Sales at Seismic. In addition to that, he's also a coach, trainer, and mentor with the Sales Rebellion. Jack has been a very close friend to me over the past year, and I'm very excited to bring him on this podcast to discuss his journey throughout sales and what he's learned up to this point in his career as an individual contributor and coach. Jack, welcome to Katie's Journey. We talk every single day. We have not met in person up to this point, but we will be coming soon in October at the Sales Success Summit. However, I am massively, massively happy to have you on the podcast and share your insights as not only my friend, but also my mentor and coach. So the first question that I want to ask you, Jack, is just starting from the beginning. Where did you start in your career? And how did you climb the corporate ladder? Well, first of all, it feels a little weird to be welcomed to the journey because I, I feel like I've been a part of the journey for a while now. So, But I, I'm glad to be formally welcomed to it and I'm, and I'm happy to be here talking to you. So my, my start in, in my career was a little weird, right? So I went to Florida State um, for college out of high school. And the only reason I did it was to be a rebel because everyone in my high school up in Massachusetts, all went to UMass. They all went to the same damn college. And I didn't want to be around any of them. I wasn't one of the kids that like loved my entire graduating class. And I also kind of felt like I had like something to prove. Like I could be the guy to do something different and, and go somewhere crazy and cool. So I've always been a Florida State fan. So I applied and lo and behold, somehow they decided to let me in and I left. I just took two bags of clothes, moved down to Tallahassee for a couple of years and, and started my life. And I immediately failed. I basically found out that I was not yet responsible enough to actually try to like achieve things while living on my own. And I left Florida State with a 1.16 GPA, uh, which I I sort of actually do wear like a badge of pride because you've you've got to try to do that bad in college. Like, yeah, what were you doing? A lot of just like having fun, watching football, hanging out, like meeting new people. It honestly, like I was, I was figuring out who I was, you yeah. know, like in, in high school, like I was kind of like, look, I didn't have it like rough, but like, I was kind of like picked on. It wasn't like the popular kid or anything like that in high school. And so I just sort of kept to myself, but like, I'm a super gregarious outgoing person and I, I love hanging out with people. So I was like kind of living this weird life where it was like, I want to like hang out with people, but I don't like any of these people around me. And then you get to college and you get to choose who you want to be. And, you know, so for me, instead of focusing on the academics, I was focusing on Jack, um, which was super cool. And I wouldn't trade any amount of time or the student loans that I still had to pay for to do that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I wouldn't trade that for anything. So I did that. And then I came home and realized, you know, maybe it's time to like actually go to college. And I went to a, a community college where I failed Smart. like right away and was still lazy, was still, ha- still had terrible bad habits, still didn't have any work ethic or organizational skills. And I actually withdrew from my first semester there 
and it took a mentor. Actually, it was Michael T. Greenwood. Uh, we call him Dr. G now because he's got a PhD, but Michael Greenwood was uh, a former executive VP of IBM. And he, he traded that all back to come teach kids where he started his education. And wow. he grabbed me and he lit a fire under me and I found business and started studying business, loved it, tapped into what I've come to realize are sort of natural leadership tendencies and then like rocked it. So like graduated top of my class 4.0, like total reversal, and then actually went out and started a business. So myself and a, and a good friend of mine started a coffee shop because we were like, we get this whole business thing. Like, we'll just open our own coffee shop. We'll pay ourselves 60 grand a year and like call it a life and we'll be super happy. Which is crazy because that's how like, I feel like most entrepreneurs, business people that are starting in that journey and career always start with a coffee shop. Do you feel like that too? Because I feel like I've heard that a few times, but like, it's crazy because look at you now. We should all start coffee shops. Well, it's either, it's either a coffee shop or like a restaurant. Yeah. And like, by the way, anyone listening, don't do that. Like it is not, <laughs> they're not easy businesses to run. You don't make any money, relatively speaking. Um, and like, it's a lot of work. Like I, I ended up realizing like a couple years in, that like we were basically just glorified baristas. Like I, I actually had this this hilarious moment where um, the the mayor or the once mayor of our city who ended up becoming the uh, governor at one point uh, walked in to like order coffee and like you know I, I served him and like did a great job. And then like years later in my career, he became the president of the local chamber of commerce. And I and I walked up to him and, and kind of introduced myself. And he was like, Oh yeah, you were the barista at that coffee shop. Like, no, that was mine. I was the owner. Like, you didn't even take the time to realize that, like, I was, like, a local business owner. Like, that was a constituent of yours. And, like, but that's sort of the mentality. Like, you know, you're just a guy in an apron. And, like, at, at some point I realized, like, like, yeah, I don't mind working hard. But, like, I didn't turn my life around, go to school, learn all this cool stuff to, to just be, like, a guy in an apron. And so I started, like, looking around. I started kind of like thinking like, well, what the heck is it that I'm good at? Right. And yeah. one of the, the, one of the funny things is like running the coffee shop, I was always really doing sales. You know, I was like driving out to local hospitals, knocking on doors, giving them uh, catering menus to try to convince them to order catering from us. And I ended up networking with pharmaceutical reps, you know, at the time they were still enabled to, to bribe their, I mean, I'm sorry, treat their prospects well. <laughs> um, and so they would order lunch from us all the time. And I started networking with all these sales reps and I was like, wait a minute, like all they do is hang out in my coffee shop all day and buy lunch for people. They always make sure to order extra for themselves and they never pay to eat. I'm like they're all driving BMWs. I'm like, these people are pretty cool. Like I kind of want to be one of these people. So I grabbed one of them one day, she, she happened to work at uh, Paychex. And she was like, well, we're hiring, like, you know, like give it a, give it a crack. So I, I applied, I went and interviewed and like got the job. And that's how my like formal sales career started. Wow. That is absolutely incredible. So kind of just realized, you know, coming to the conclusion, I didn't work so hard just to be the guy in the apron. And then once you've come to that conclusion, figuring out how the heck to not be the guy in the apron and, and put your skills and knowledge to work, which is incredible. And it's all through networking and putting yourself out there just like you did. So and that's, a, that's a huge point, Kaylee. And like, 
I think a lot of people will think this comment is controversial and like, you know me, so I love controversial comments. Oh yeah. Like, like if you're listening to this and you are the guy, the gal in the apron, like it didn't happen on accident. It's not something that happened to you. Like you're not a victim of your situation. Yes, there are things out of your control that may have led you to where you are, but that doesn't mean you're still out of control. That doesn't mean you can't reflect and look at what is in my control. What can I go change? And then take the time, take the fortitude to go make those changes. And if it doesn't happen right away, look at me. Like when I came home from school, I failed again, right? Like it's not going to happen again and again and again if you keep trying and you keep improving. So like if you're in that spot now, pause, reflect, find the controllables and go make the change. Yeah. And taking that one step further and talking about salespeople today internally, there was a line, uh, something that you just said, you're not a victim of your situation. There's always something that you're able to control in that. So I feel like a lot of the times, and you have the most experience in this, in navigating different internal roadblocks and having conversations with different sales leaders and individual contributors, what's your best advice for navigating those internal roadblocks and, and controlling the controllables to avoid that line of you're not a victim of your situation, especially in today's sales world? I, I mean, you really have to be clear-eyed about it. You've got to be very self-aware and situationally aware. And like, look, we're humans, right? So we make decisions with our emotions first, and then we, we use logic to back it up. So if you find yourself in a situation like where you're here, you're hearing that like internal self-talk telling you like you're, you're in a victim state, like sit down and analyze like, okay, what are the uncontrollables? What led me here? And as you write down, like physically write it down, each of the things that led you here, first of all, I want to prepare you because 80 to 90% of them probably are going to be uncontrollables. Like the controllables are never the majority, but the controllables have more influence, right? The only reason those uncontrollables are leading your life is because they've banded together against you and you're not taking advantage of the strengths that you have to combat them. So write it down, figure out what led you here. Every single instance that led you here, wherever here is, figure out, did I control it or didn't I? And I'm saying to go deep because there's a lot of things that you think you didn't control that if you really keep rewinding the tape, you find a decision that you made or didn't make that started the cascade of events that led to that. So do the hard self-work to figure it out. And then once you've grappled with all that, throw all the uncontrollables away. Forget about it. And then focus on the things that you can influence moving forward. So like internally in a career, things that are stopping you, like everyone wants to point to results. They're like, yeah, you know, my results just aren't good enough. And, and then they start to associate like characteristics about themselves with those results. Cool. Yeah. Go, go change them. Cause like those characteristics are typically skills or attributes that you can work on. Right. So like if you have low EQ, like that might've been a natural thing, but you can work on that. You can read a book, you can listen to a podcast, you can grab a mentor, you can work on practicing the skills that it takes to have better EQ, you know, working on internal politics, being a better team player. And then like even hard skills, like what does it take to do the job that I want to do? What are the specific skills that I need to have to excel in that? Go write those down, seek them out and practice until you get good at it. Yeah. Which is an incredible tip. And Honestly, something I feel like you kind of did recently with controlling the controllables in your own life and joining a new team as an individual contributor. So 
a question that I have is, you know, what did your thought process look like and how did you end up making that decision to control the controllables by joining the seismic team? Oh man, that there, there's a, a whole big story behind that because like there, there's a lot more involved with it that I think is actually a perfect example to, to share with people. So, you know, I said the uncontrollables are always going to outweigh the controllables. So Fast forward from that coffee shop to my first role in sales and paychecks, I, I've always been sort of like um, the most fortuitous salesperson, I'll call it, right? My, my career has never been planned. And like literally if people ask me like, what's your three to five year plan? I'll tell them it, my three to five year plan is to get a three to five year plan. <laughs> and Same. because I've never, I've never had one. And what I did instead was I'd get into a job I would do the things I just preached about. I'd get good, I'd execute, and then good things would happen. And then I would take advantage of those good things and parlay it into the next good thing. So I, I went to paychecks and you know, I won, um, at the time they called it conference, their president's club. I won conference as a, as a pre-rookie uh, without even a territory. I had to split all my revenue with the rep that owned the territory. So I had to do Ooh. twice as much as the next person to, to qualify, and I did. So I went there, did that, got some opportunities. We partnered with a bank and some of the people I partnered with saw like the characteristics I displayed and they said, Hey, come work for us. So, you know, did that, started excelling in that career, moved to the top of the leaderboards, you know, made the president's club there. Uh, And then from there, one of my clients actually said, Hey, like you've done a lot for us. We like what you do. Come sell for us. And that turned into the ability to lead their entire sales org, basically build the company from the ground up uh, on the sales side and start to help them launch into a national franchise. So all of that happened over way too many years because I'm actually old. And then (laughs) finally, um, I had a conversation one day with a friend. They said, you know, do you love your job? And I said, I love everything about what I'm doing right now. I love all the people that I do it for. I feel so secure. It's not like I would ever lose this job. As soon as you say that out loud, as soon as you think you've got something in the bag, boy, does the world teach you otherwise. Oh, yeah. Um, and I had just a, an ugly falling out with with that company. They made some strategic decisions that, that went left while I was going right. And, you know, long story short, we are no longer together, like a, like a bad relationship ending. And it was very sudden. Um, you know, I had just found out that my wife and I were, were finally pregnant after a two year struggle to conceive, which like the emotional toll that takes on, on people is like anyone out there who's gone through that. Like I get it. My heart goes out to you because it's not easy that you, it like challenges who you are as an individual. It's like an identity challenging kind of struggle to go through. So we went through that, just got the great news that we were expecting our our first child and then I'm out of a job. So I went from that to immediately just figuring it out, right? Like I'm going to go start my own business. I'm going to work for myself. I'm going to do sales training and coaching, which is something I've already been doing you know, quite a bit of with Dale Dupree and the Sales Rebellion mm-hmm. and started uh, consulting for some small businesses. So really quickly turned around and was able to sell enough clients to maintain my same um, like status in life, you know, same income, make, you know, pay the bills, get ready for this baby. Like life is good. And like a really dramatic shift happened. I wasn't working so hard. Like I took Wednesdays off because we had the baby and I could just be a dad on Wednesdays and let my wife focus on you know, her career. So like things got good again. <laughs> and then out of the blue, the opportunity presented itself to me. So the, a, lot, a lot went on before that, 
that opportunity came. Um, but when it did come, you know, I think the thought process there for me, and I, I'm just going to be hundred percent candid. I, I was scared. Yeah. And running, running my own business. A new great, baby. A new baby. You know, like I, I was being successful, but like, there's always the thought in the back of your head, like, what if, right? Like, it's almost like, it's almost like sales on steroids, right? Because like, you, you've got to hit this quota, but now like, if you fail, if you fail to hit quota in a, in a sales job, you're not going to get fired right away. If you do it a bunch of times, sure, you're going to get fired, but what are you going to do? You're going to go get another sales job, right? And we're salespeople. Yeah. So what do we do? We sell ourselves better than anybody else. But when you own your own business and you make your own quota because your life is making the quota, like the bills you have to pay are the quota. Shit pretty, gets real. <laughs> shit gets real, real fast. It's pretty intense. So, um, and I, I, I don't mind it. I liked it. I loved what I was doing. And I actually, I wasn't proactively looking to, to move away from it, but the opportunity came to work for a team that I know a lot of people at the team that are just exceptional sellers, exceptional leaders. And I said, man, I've always had this sort of like, take the next opportunity because it presents itself to you. And like, I just did it right. I just quickly said yes, but I never really evaluated why this was the first time that I was like, there are some real reasons here why I would be crazy not to take this challenge on, you know, it's a level of sales. I I had yet to perfect, you know, I've never been really a, a, an enterprise seller. Mm -hmm. I've never had a leader and you know, sorry to any of my leaders that listen to this, but I've never had a leader that was like that one leader that you rave about that changes your life. Yeah. And I've had some really good leaders and I've had leaders that, you know, they, they supported me the way I needed them to, for me to be successful, but I've never had a leader that changed me, you know? So I look at, I looked at the, the individual that um, had the opportunity to hire me as one of those people. I looked at, his boss, uh, someone that I interviewed with as one of those people. And then I looked at my peers that I would get to join as a lot of those people. So I was like, Hey, this is your chance to check the, check your ego at the door. And like, sort of like be like Michael Jordan, you know, like put the, put the Jersey back on, change your number and and prove that you still got it. Yeah. Also like have people speak into your life to help improve you along the way. So, um, I did it. I pulled the trigger. I'm here. And it was, Already, it's already been one of the best decisions I've ever made in my career. Yeah, absolutely. Which is just incredible, kind of taking that major leap and realizing that it absolutely aligns with who you are as a person and finding a team that supports that, which is what everyone wants. Um, With so many, especially in a virtual world now and since the pandemic, so many salespeople and, and just honestly professionals in general jumping from role to role because the opportunities have presented themselves. What's it like being in your first six months at a new company? It is, it's a lot. And I'll tell you, it's, when I say it's a lot, I don't think that it's necessarily any different than it would be in any other situation where you're new, right? Like you got to get in, you want to ramp up quickly. There's a lot to learn. You've got to learn like the, the internal operations. You've got to learn the people and there's always a lot when you're new. But the really cool thing about about Seismic is I've always sort of looked at the sales world and said, who are these people that are selling the absolute best thing in its space that like nothing can hang with and they're selling it exactly the right time, like when everyone needs that thing. Like I've always been jealous of those people, right? Yeah. Like if you, if I look at my sales career, I've always sold like 
hard things, right? Like payroll sales is such a commodity. It's such a price game. And like, then I went into banking, like post the collapse, post the mortgage bubble. Yikes. So like, yeah. And it like everything I've ever sold has been so challenging and difficult to do. And then all of a sudden I get to seismic and look, I'm not saying it's easy. Like people are going to listen to this and be like, yeah, okay, mister, you haven't sold a thing yet. It's not easy, but the the vibe around what we do, how we do it, and the need for what we provide people is all on the total upswing and it's just getting supercharged even more. So having conversations with people that they understand the needs they have, they they are really excited to learn about how they can tackle it. And then from the, the product side, I know we do it better than anybody in the game. It's a cool spot to be in. And it's like, it, it's exciting. Yeah. And you when you believe in the product that you're selling, it changes everything because you can have honest, transparent conversations knowing that the people that you're speaking with will actually have a meaningful impact by working with you or partnering with Seismic, um, which is just incredible. And you mentioned this is kind of a different industry than you've played in in the past. And the SaaS world right now is exploding. Talk to me about just some of the differences that you've navigated from even internal culture from, let's say, banking to the SaaS world. I want to say this out loud, so loud. And like, if I could force this comment to go viral so the whole world could hear it, I I totally would. There is nothing different about SaaS than any other type of sale that you focus on. I want to say it over and over and over again. And the reason I want to say that is because there are so many people denied an opportunity because hiring managers or leaders in companies say, we want SaaS experience. We want SaaS experience. And I'm, I'm not going to drop names, but people could probably figure this out. But like, I, I'm a sales coach. I love coaching. And one of the things I really wanted to do is work for one of these great companies that outsources coaching. So like, you can listen to some calls, provide some feedback. And, and be a coach, wink, wink. Like a lot of people are going to know the name of this company. Well, I got connected to someone over there through through mutual connections, through people mm-hmm. in the sales world that I respect, they respect me. And so it wasn't like a, hey, I'm applying blind. And I literally got the whole, I call it the SaaS slap. Like, Oof. oh, well, you're new to SaaS. Like you've never had SaaS experience. You can't possibly have any other talent. <laughs> you have no idea what you're doing. I'm like, I don't care about your SaaS. Like the core of sales is, is all the same. You just have to adjust for the product and the buyer. But like, if you can't do that, you don't have sales acumen. So like, sure. Like if you're saying you're super impatient and you want me to understand everything about it right away, like, cool, I get a piece of that. But you're also not understanding like people's backgrounds. Like look how fast they ramped up in different industries. I have never sold in any industry I've ever been in until I did. Wow. I never sold payroll and then I did it as, as one of the best. I never was in banking. I became one of the best. I was never in IT. I became one of the best. Like, why? It's not because I'm awesome. I'm not bragging about myself, but it's because I focus on learning. And people so, like, gave you that opportunity to do that. And people put the hand out and said, I see you for who you are. I see the characteristics of someone that I believe would represent my company and treat my customers the way I want to be. And you have the ability and the acumen to get there. And the drive and the will and the desire to do it. And those are all that matter. So like, first things first, like get off your high horse sass because one day the bubble will crash 
and you'll be like the last cool hot fad, like clubhouse that no one cares about anymore. So like, like just be humble and understand that like the skill underneath what your industry is, has existed for eons. So get good at that. Get good at, at understanding your customers, understanding what they need, how to deliver that in, a, in an ethical yet creative way, giving experiences to those buyers. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to be good at whatever industry you go into. A hundred percent. Yeah, I couldn't echo that enough. Um, and you mentioned coaching, being an individual contributor and navigating those challenges of just, you know, the day in the life. And then also being a coach, kind of paint the picture for me of, of what your day actually looks like in juggling those two very different, almost mindset uh, roles. Yeah. And I, I don't actually think it's two different mindsets, to be honest with you. Like, cause it, whether you're, whether you're a learner or a coach, right. Whether you're executing or you're helping people execute, you're always focused on the same stuff. Right. Yeah. So, and I think the best part about being a coach that a lot of people don't understand is when you teach, you learn like almost better than ever before. So, and to me, coaching is, is a mutual activity. Like it's not something you give to someone. It's not something you do to someone. It's something that you, you share with someone. Right. So, I mean, look, you and I have had uh, a pretty cool relationship now for geez. Is it, I think it's, it's been like a year more than yeah, a year. more than a year at this point, which is nuts. It's crazy. And Every time I coach you through a scenario, I get better for it, right? And there's and let's be honest, aren't there times I reach out to you and I'm like, yeah. "Hey, Haley, what do you think about this situation?" So I think I think the mindset is is constant improvement. If you're if you're always willing and able to get incrementally better every single opportunity in every moment, um, you know whether you live on the coaching side of that coin or, or the contributor side of that coin. It, that's what's important is improving. So for me, like the day to day, you know, I try not to mix church and state, you know, like um, when a company pays you to show up, like you do that, you respect the time. Absolutely. Luckily, luckily, like we're in sales too. So we have a lot of flexibility with calendars. So like, I'll make sure to like block off specific time, you know, on the calendar to do any type of coaching activities. I know, you know, we've got a really great peer to peer training group. Um, the X faction that you're in Mm -hmm. and, you know, we do it during like quote unquote lunchtime, right. It's, it's from noon to one. And like, I did that cause I'm still a little old school and like, I probably still give a little too much credence to like, Ooh, you work for the man. Like you gotta be so respectful of that. But like, like, let's be honest, like they're not respecting lunchtime anymore in the zoom world. So not at all. (laughs) I'm going to take 12 to one and I'm going to do my little training group. But, um, I tell you what, that fills me up. We we just texted about it this morning. Like, man, that conversation on Tuesday, like we all needed that. Yeah. So, like I, I think I think sprinkling in a little teaching, a little learning into what you do uh, breaks up the grind of sales and helps you like step back and focus on on yourself and others in a way that can kind of like help you kind of refresh. Yeah, it's like the sales energy drink that you didn't know you needed when you can kind of offload what's on your mind with like-minded people, even if they're not in the same company as you. It's at the end of the day, you said it earlier, if you know how if you know the foundational basics of sales and how to talk to people and how to manage just honestly being a salesperson, it doesn't matter what industry you're in or company you're working for, you can still commiserate 
with other people in a very similar role as you. So being able to kind of offload those emotions is beyond freeing, especially in the Zoom packed world we're in today where bathroom breaks are non-existent. Well, and that point that you just drove home is so crucial, right? So so I'm in SaaS, you're in cybersecurity. And like, let's just be honest about something that needs to be talked about. There is not a ton of diversity still in either of those industries, despite some companies making like really great strides. I'm lucky that I work for one of those companies that takes diversity, equity, inclusion, like really seriously, mm-hmm. but like tech, IT, like they're still not diverse. Yeah. And the, the power behind diversity, it's not what you and I, it's not how you and I look or act or believe different. It's the experiences we've had. I just haven't experienced some stuff that you have. And if I go into a room full of eight other people that have other experiences that I haven't had, I get to skip the line. Like I don't have to step in the hole that you guys stepped in because you can warn me about it. You can tell me how to avoid it. And the same thing goes in reverse. So getting a a bunch of professionals together from wildly different backgrounds that sell a bunch of different stuff, to me, I think has been one of the most powerful things I've ever done in coaching. And it's so helpful. And I think that's why... And with the Sales Success Summit coming up, that instantly just popped into my brain when you said that. I think that's why there's just absolutely so much value in something like the Sales Success Summit, bringing all of these industry leaders and contributors into one place to collaborate, identify challenges, and then work through them together, regardless of what company or industry that they're in. Yeah. And it doesn't stop like after the event too, right? Like that's one of those places where you're, you're establishing real community and real relationships. So like, here's, here's kind of a cool story that like, I don't think I've ever like put all the pieces together in one place before. So when I was actually, when I was working at the IT company, like starting that, that sales org is when I first started finally like taking in content and like listening to podcasts about sales. Okay. And like, I, I had no idea that world even existed. Right. And I think there's a lot of sellers that are like, they've got their nose down, like trying to hit their number. They're doing a lot of the best practices that like the LinkedIn world talks about, but they don't, many of them don't even know that there's like this whole ecosystem of other sellers that want to share and collaborate. So I plug into that. I listen to Scott's pod or I listen to John Barrow's podcast and make it happen Monday's podcast. And John had Scott Ingram on as a guest. And like the two of them were like kibitzing back and forth about how like, you know, if you don't work like 60 hours a week, like you, you really can't be like the, the pinnacle of success in a sales career. And they were like, if someone out there works less than that and is successful, we want to hear from you because you don't exist. Oh, and wow. I literally LinkedIn messaged Scott Ingram. I just direct messaged him. I'm that guy. And that, that message led to a phone call with Scott and uh, an appearance on his podcast because I luckily fit the criteria. Yeah. And then from the podcast, I went to the summit and at it was at the summit where I actually met uh, Evan Kelsey and Dewan Brown, who worked at Seismic at the time. And I got to learn like their stories and hear from their success. They both spoke on stage. I met David Weiss, who at the time was at ADP, who we shared a panel together about leadership, who's now my boss. He's my leader. He's the one who brought me into Seismic. So becoming part of that community opened up opportunities for me. And now there's actually some other members of that community that are on our team. Andy Rasick is a, a huge contributor to the sales success community, and he's on our team now. So like, 
the way you present yourself, not just like at in your work, but externally too. Like how yeah. you go out and get learning, how you go out and build your network. And to think about, I wasn't building my network no. for the purpose of selling or like getting a job. I was doing it to improve and vice versa to help others improve. And like all the happy accidents are the benefits that, that befall afterwards. Yeah. And you know, everyone loves talking about ROI and return on investment. It's like an absolute buzzword. But if you network appropriately and make genuine connections, you are ultimately going to see in the long term, the return on investment on when you invest in people and communities and contribute to things like the sales success summit. And I know that you're actually speaking at this year's summit, which I'm pumped about. When I saw that, I was like, no freaking way. So tell me what we should expect. I actually, it's funny. I actually forgot for a second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the story I just shared is kind of like, kind of like a fitting setup for it. So it's actually going to be myself and David Weiss. And we're going to be talking about building world-class sales teams. The two best and- buds. Yeah. And I mean, and there's a lot, like when you hear building a world-class sales team, you know, I think a lot of people think about like, you know, hiring managers, how do they find the right people? How do they qualify them? I'm like, yeah, that's a part of it. But there's so much more to identifying what makes great team players, how helping those players become better teammates and better team players and how all those things actually contribute to to outcomes. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about what it takes to to build world class sales teams. I am so beyond pumped for that. You have no idea. So foam fingers are allowed or air horns. Um, you could definitely see me in the crowd with either one of those making some noise. So with all of that, I have learned honestly a lot more about you than than I've known before this podcast. So that was absolutely awesome. And I'm sure anyone listening is thinking the exact same thing. Tell us where we can find you and how we can get involved in really the process of just getting better. Yeah. Well, and and first of all, you know, honestly, thanks for giving me the airtime. One of one of the hardest parts about being a coach is like you you, you shouldn't be talking all the time, right? You you really need to be listening and you really need to be focusing on other people. But like look, I'm in sales. I love to talk. And <laughs> so when I get a chance to get on a podcast, like it's it's almost like a release for me. So like thanks for thanks for letting me have the release and like probably oversharing. But um, the best way for people to connect with me, honestly, is LinkedIn. I'm, I'm I'm really active on LinkedIn. I directly respond to to messages typically within like 24 hours. Um, you know, so hit me up if you're going to connect with me on LinkedIn. Though, don't you dare send me a non personalized connection request. Like, Oof, give me you some, heard it here. <laughs> give me, give me some context, right? Like, like make it personal. Tell me something you heard, add an opinion. Cause like, I hate the blind, like just connect with me things, but um, I'll absolutely connect with anybody. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm usually open to one-to-one conversations. I mean, tell them, tell them how we met. I know seriously for, so for anybody listening, um, the way that Jack just described getting in touch with him is actually the way that we got connected through LinkedIn, through the power of LinkedIn in a totally virtual world. Um, there, there was a post up about connecting with different people and putting yourself out there and like meeting one new person a week. And, you know, oddly enough, Jack has become my other half. So in going and kind of putting yourself out there to network with new people, 
Jack and I met and we were talking and, and the more that we talked, the more we found synergies of not only personal and professional life, but how well our mindsets aligned on the topic of curious curiosity and hustle. And I think that was a major contributor to kind of where we are today. But it starts with networking. It starts with committing to learning about new people and investing your time in other people because I promise there is reward. And that reward could be a friendship. It could be a job. It could be an opportunity. It could be a great conversation or it could just be a vent session. And I think either any one of those is massively important to just help incrementally moving the needle on becoming better personally and professionally. Boom. Like drop the mic on that one. That like you nailed it. You covered off every important aspect about being present and putting yourself out there. So credit, credit Jeff Bajoric on that. Um, at the Sales Success Summit, ironically, he said to me, you know, just reach out. All these people that you see on LinkedIn are just humans. They're just people. So if you're if you're just a people back and you just reach out, like typically they they genuinely want to connect. So like I would leave your audience with a challenge. You know, if there's a person that like let's say you are active on LinkedIn or you listen to podcasts and like maybe you put somebody up on like a pedestal that like you've got this weird parasocial relationship with, <laughs> like just reach out to them. Um, you know, I I don't want to go through the list of people that have dramatically impacted my life that that I've been able to do that with. But like there's a handful of them like yourself, like Scott Ingram, like Dale Dupree, that yeah. it, you know, it went from LinkedIn to offline. So like Figure out the people who, you know, you're birds of a feather and, and I'll go connect with them and, and see what happens. Yeah. And for those listening, take that as a challenge. And if and when you do complete that challenge and expand your network, no matter what channel it's through, reach out to Jack and myself and, and tell us what it was like, who you reached out to, what, what type of relationship you're starting to form, because we want to know that. That's awesome. But Jack... Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You'll find everything about how to find Jack in the show notes. And I am a major proponent of the Sales Rebellion, so you will also find how to join the Sales Rebellion and potentially our meetings that we have twice a month called the X Faction. You are missing out if you're not on those meetings. So all of this information will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. And we are tuning out. Thanks so much, Jack. Uh, Absolutely a pleasure to be here. Can't wait to do it again.